Good morning to each one. Greetings in the precious name of Jesus. God has certainly given us a beautiful day to worship him. After some cloudy, snowy days, it's good to see the sunshine. I'm sure many of you are familiar with the seven ordinances. The seven ordinances are as follows. Water baptism, communion, feet washing, veiling for Christian women, the Christian salutation, or the holy kiss, anointing with oil, and marriage. Over the past several weeks, many of us have observed and even taken part in four of these ordinances. Many of us was at the wedding of Justin and Christy, and uh, we saw marriage take place, and we heard about marriage and what it's all about. This past weekend, we had a baptism here. Four young people were baptized. We had communion, and we also had our feet washing service. These four of the seven ordinances are probably the most familiar with us. The ordinance of marriage, as we know, is very popular. The ordinance of communion and feet washing, we observe here twice a year. And then baptism, not as often. I think in the last five years, we have had three baptism services. And so today and also in the future, I want to consider the not so familiar ordinances, the Christian salutation, anointing with oil, and the veiling for Christian women. Now, my first thought was that I would consider all three of these in one message. I mean, how much is there to say about the Christian salutation? How much is there to say about anointing with oil? How much can we say about the veiling for Christian women? Well, I found out there is a lot to be said and another thing I found out, and I'm happy to tell you this morning, that these ordinances are not boring, but interesting. And they also are very practical. And so this morning we, want, we are going to consider the Christian salutation. What is an ordinance, and what is the purpose of an ordinance? Webster defines an ordinance as the established rite or ceremony. Excuse me, I may have to do that a few times this morning. A Christian ordinance has also been defined, defined as a religious ceremony with a heavenward meeting. In other words, Daniel Kaufman says, the ordinances were instituted to the end that they who keep them may have their minds drawn heavenward, meditating upon things divine and worshiping him who called into being. And so that gives you an idea of what an ordinance is. Now, what is a salutation? And when I look at this word, sometimes I want to say, solutions and so if I get stuck on it today y'all just help me out and remind me that it's salutation and not solution. 
A salutation is a gesture or utterance made as a greeting or acknowledgement of another's arrival or departure. As you know, in life we arrive and depart from each other's presence in many different ways and for many different reasons. And so the question is, does the Bible have any direction for us on what we should do or how we should respond as we arrive and depart from each other's presence? The Bible speaks of three forms of salutation. The first one is the personal greeting. The personal greeting is the most common form of greeting in the Bible and probably the most common form of greeting today. We acknowledge the arrival of another with words like good morning, good afternoon, good evening, welcome. Those greetings are good and proper, but I learned in this study that it is biblical and it is good to add the person's name along with the greeting. And so you can turn to 3 John and we'll look at a verse there in 3 John. 3 John chapter 1. Now some of this is new to me. I have never, in the past I have not studied the Christian salutation in depth. And so I've learned some things and maybe you'll learn a few things today too. Maybe you have this all down pat, I don't know. But 3 John 1.14, But I trust I shall shortly see them, and we shall speak face to face. Peace be to thee, our friends salute thee, greet the friends by name. Good morning, Gwen. Good afternoon, Joel. Good evening, Miles. Welcome. Jamie, I'll find somebody. Greet the friends by name. Now, my Amish friends are very good at this, and I had to think about this when I was studying. When I meet one of them, not so much a one-on-one -on -one meeting, but if I run into one of my Amish friends at a public event, such as a sale, they will just simply say my first name, Dan. And, you know, I may pass one, he's going one direction, I'm going the other, Dan. Greet the friends by name. Throughout the Gospels, we have examples of Jesus calling out to his disciples by name. Other times when they were together, Jesus would greet them with words of peace. Example of that is John 20, verse 19. It says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. A beautiful personal greeting to his disciples. When Jesus sent out his 12 disciples, he told them, and, we, and when ye come into a house, salute it or greet it. In other words, be friendly. 
be the, be the first to call out a personal greeting. And I looked up the word that salute is translated from as we find it there in that account. And this may surprise you, but the first definition is to enfold in the arms, to welcome, to embrace, greet. This past Wednesday evening was prayer families. And this month, our family was host. When our guest arrived at the door this past Wednesday evening, we had this time of mutual saluting, mutual greeting. It was not a one-sided affair, but we, the host and the guest, were exchanging words of personal greeting. Jesus said, and when you come into a house, salute it. If my Bible study is correct, the word salute, as we find it in the Bible, and the word greet, greet, as we find it in the Bible, are translated from the same word. For an example of that, you can turn to Romans chapter 16. I'm not going to read much of this chapter. But in this chapter, the Apostle Paul is sending his greetings to a long list of people. Some, he says, to salute. Others, he says, to greet. From what I can tell, both words come from the same Greek word. But what is Paul asking for when he said to salute or greet someone in chapter 16? of Romans, or even other places in the scripture. You know, if I knew someone here today would be going to Fair Play Boys Camp this coming week, I would probably say to that person, if you happen to see my brother Steve, give him my greetings, or tell him I, tell him I said hi. However, I believe if you look closely here at Romans, uh, Romans 16, the saluting and the greetings that Paul was asking to be done on his behalf was deeper and with more meaning than just telling someone to tell my brother Steve hi. I know you heard the expression together through thick and thin. These folks that Paul was saluting, Paul had been with these folks through thick and thin. I once heard a fellow say that him and his wife had been together through thin and thin, but I uh, thought that was kind of amusing. But Paul had been with these people through thick and thin, through good times and through bad times. And let's read verse 3 and 4 of chapter 16. And just notice just the just a small window into this passage. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. And so Paul is saying, salute these folks, greet these folks, enfold these dear people in your arms for me. One thing we must point out about the personal greeting 
is that the personal greeting is not just for friends only, but we should be friendly towards everyone, even people that we don't necessarily like. Turn over to Matthew 5:47, the words of Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 5:47, "And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publican so?" What is Jesus saying? I believe he's saying that if we refuse to be friendly to people that we don't like, Jesus is saying that we are really no different than the ungodly. A warm, sincere greeting to an unlikable person can be an excellent testimony for Jesus Christ. Again, I will quote from Daniel Kaufman's book. He writes this, When your soul is overflowing with love to God and man, your words and deeds will manifest a friendly spirit towards friend and foe. As I said earlier, a salutation is a gesture or utterance made as a greeting or acknowledgement of another's arrival or departure. Let's think a few minutes about departure. Let's think about personal farewells. You know, farewells can be hard, but they are a part of life. We sing, this, we sing the hymn, Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. Back to Wednesday evening, prayer families. I'll pick on them a little bit again. I'm not going to tell you who they were, but I guess you could go home and look in your trash can and see if you can find the old list. But back to Wednesday evening, prayer families. I don't think they'll mind if I say this. From the first time I heard our guests say, well, it's time for us to go home, till they actually drove out the driveway <laughs> was a significant length of time. Now, I was watching because I was preparing for this message. You see, there was so much to talk about. There was one more story that must be told. We call that Christian fellowship. When our guests were walking out the door, again, there was this mutual exchange of farewells. And I had to think, if an observer would have been watching and listening to these personal farewells, he may have thought, you know, it's going to be a long time till these people see each other again. And uh, four days did go by. For those of us who've been around a few years, we know the truth of the words, when we asunder part, it gives us inward pain. But we shall still be joined in heart and hope to meet again. Turn, if you would, to Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20, we have a story of a hard farewell. And here in this account, Paul shares his testimony along with personal words 
of farewell. And I don't want to read the whole chapter this morning. I'm going to just break into the story at verse 31 and read uh, through 38. The words of the Apostle Paul, Acts 20, 31. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I had coveted no man's... Start over. I have coveted... No one silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most for all the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more, and they accompanied him to the ship. Personal farewells are not easy, but they are certainly a part of life. Personal farewells are emotional times. In this situation with Paul and his friends, the people are weeping. They are embracing. They are kissing one another. Ephesians 3, 5 tells us that there is a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. We will now consider the second form of the Christian salutation. The second form of the Christian salutation is the right hand of fellowship, or simply the handshake. Wikipedia says a handshake, for those of you that don't know, is a short ritual in which two people grasp one of each other's like hands, in most cases accompanied by a brief up and down movement of the grasp hands. <laughs> there are two basic forms of the handshake. First you have the social handshake that is used in friendly greetings. We use the social handshake in business. When I go out to sell doors, it's all about business. I shake hands when I get there. We do the deal. We sell the doors. It's done. I shake hands before we leave or I leave. We use the social handshake to offer congratulations, expressing gratitude, or, or completing an agreement. In sports or other competitive activities, it is also done as a sign of good sportsmanship. Its purpose is not to the purpose is to convey trust, respect, balance, and equality. If it is done to form an agreement, the agreement is not official until the hands are parted. That is what we call the social handshake. And then we have the biblical handshake, 
and that is the right hand of fellowship handshake, or some folks uh, refer to it as the believer's handshake. What is the right hand of fellowship handshake? It's simply this. The right hand of fellowship is a token of agreement in faith, in the faith, and of unity of feeling and purpose. We have one example of that in the scripture, and that's in Galatians chapter 2. And you can turn there, if you like, Galatians 2, verse 9. In Galatians chapter 2, the the Apostle Paul is reminiscing about past spiritual difficulties. He also tells how the Apostles came to different conclusions on who should do what and who should go where. And then we have verse 9. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me... Paul, and Barnabas, the right hands of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen, and they unto the circumcision. This handshake that was given to Paul and Barnabas was a handshake that said, Brothers, we are with you. We support you. We are in agreement with you in the faith and the unity of feeling and purpose. The right hand of fellowship handshake is a handshake of confidence. It's a handshake of like-mindedness, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, like we read in Philippians 2, chapter 2. There is power, there is energy, there is a connection. It's hard to actually put words to it in the right hand of fellowship handshake, and probably especially more for us men. Sometimes the clasp of the handshake can be more powerful than words. Sometimes in some situations there are no fitting words to say. I think you know what I mean. To even say, I will pray for you, sounds cold and empty. In such a situation, a handshake or an embrace will speak the words that we cannot say. Now, we will go to the third form of the Christian salutation, and that is the holy kiss. This is the one that you've been waiting for. And I have a question here at the beginning. What makes the holy kiss holy? Think about that. We'll answer it here in just a few minutes. The holy kiss, as we will see, is certainly different and more special than the first two forms that we have looked at. And so the very first point I have is the holy kiss is biblical. And I'd like for you to turn to these references with me. The first one being Romans 16, 16. Now this verse is the last verse of that chapter that we had looked at very, very briefly earlier. It's the chapter where Paul uh, had that long list of names 
that uh, he said to either salute or greet. And so he gets down to the very end, and he had a verse for, uh, actually, I don't think it is the last verse of that chapter, but it's that last part of that chapter where he's talking about saluting and greeting. But he simply says, salute one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. Now turn over to 1 Corinthians 16, verse 20. First Corinthians sixteen twenty. And here we have the word greet. All the brethren greet you, greet ye one another with an holy kiss. Turn over to Second Corinthians thirteen twelve. Second Corinthians thirteen twelve. Greet one another with an holy kiss. Sounds very familiar. First Thessalonians five twenty six. First Thessalonians five twenty six says to greet all the brethren with an holy kiss. And so here it is. In plain words, just easy to understand. So number one, the holy kiss is biblical. The second one, second point that I want to consider is the holy kiss is a symbol of love. You may turn to 1 Peter 5, verse 14. Now the first four references that we looked at referred to it as a holy kiss. Notice here in 1 Peter 5, verse 14, it's called something just a bit different. 1 Peter 5, 14 says, Greet ye one another with a kiss of charity. Peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now, if you're there in 1 Peter, I'd like for you to go back to chapter 1 and we'll look at verse 22 as we think about the holy kiss is a symbol of love. Now there's more verses we could look at in, in 1 Peter but we, we only have so much time. But notice 1 Peter 1, 22, same book. Seeing ye have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. And so the kiss of charity or the kiss of love is naturally an expression, first of all, of a pure heart, and second, of unfeigned love for one another. And so the holy kiss is simply a symbol of love. Love in the brotherhood. Okay, now the third one, third point, it is a holy kiss. First, I want to consider the thought that the holy kiss is not a kiss of judgment. Think back with me to the story of the father of the prodigal son. 
you remember that story. The prodigal son, he returns to the father after wasting his father's inheritance in sinful living. What does the father do? Well, listen to these words from Luke 15, 20. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And so we greet one another, not with a kiss of judgment, but with a kiss of love. And so back to the question that I asked earlier, what makes the holy kiss holy? Well, the answer is simply this. The holy kiss is as holy as the people who are kissing. In other words, if the folks who are greeting one another with a holy kiss are not holy, it's just a kiss. It may look good to others. It may look like the kiss that Judas betrayed Jesus with. You know, that, could, that kiss looked awesome to the disciples. It looked like a kiss of love, but that kiss was far from holy. And so remember this. You, you can forget everything else I said, but remember this point. The holy kiss will never make unholy people holy. What unholy people need is the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. And also I will add the holy kiss does not fix problems between brothers. The holy kiss does not fix issues between sisters in the church. Be wonderful, you know, sometimes we tell little children, you need to kiss and make up, you know, and they'll kiss each other. But uh, the holy kiss doesn't fix, it's not a band-aid. All right, the fourth one I have, the holy kiss is for all the brethren. The holy kiss is for every member, young and old, rich and poor. It's not just a preacher thing, but it's for everyone from any nation who is part of the family of God. Sometimes the question is raised, how often should we practice the holy kiss? I will read what is written in our statement of faith, and if you happen to have that in your Bible, you can turn there. It's on page 28. But it's under the section under ordinances, and it's under greeting with the holy kiss. And I'll read what it says. The kiss of love is the holy symbol of brotherhood relationships within the family of God. It should therefore be observed upon receiving applicants into church fellowship, at the time of washing one another's feet, and as often as prompted in the spirit of Christian love. I personally believe that our Sunday morning worship service is a good time to be prompted in the spirit of Christian love. Now you may wonder if the holy kiss is good Sunday morning, what about other times that we meet? What about Wednesday evening? What about Sunday evening? What about the school program this Friday evening? 
Or what if we meet someone at Walmart or Food Line or at the bank or we pick up friends at the airport? This morning, I will share what I believe. And I want to share this very carefully and I want to share it very humbly. But I believe that just like the ordinance of communion and feet washing, the holy kiss is a special ordinance, just like communion and feet washing. It's a special ordinance for brothers and sisters in Christ. And I believe as a church, we want to keep it special. I believe that we should practice the holy kiss enough that we keep alive the symbol, but not so often that it becomes just the way we Mennonites greet one another. And we forget the meaning and the purpose of it. And that's why I believe that Sunday morning, Sunday morning worship service is a good time to remember and practice the ordinance of the holy kiss. And sometimes the question is raised, what about in public places? And I will share what I believe on that. You know, as a church, we do not observe the ordinance of communion and feet washing in public places. No, we do not lock the doors on communion Sunday. If we have unbelievers here on communion Sunday, we do not ask them to leave, but we observe communion and feet washing in the privacy of our church. And so it is with the holy kiss. Again, we do not practice this ordinance behind locked doors, but at the same time, we do not practice it in public places. And so, in closing, I asked the question at the beginning of the message, does the Bible have any directions for us on what we should do or how we should respond as we arrive and depart from each other's presence? And I believe the answer to that is yes. You know, this morning we just... We just um, we just uh, touched the tip of the iceberg or whatever they say. I mean, the Bible is just full of examples of, of how, what people did, what they said, how they responded in times of greeting, in times of farewell. And so we are equipped with, uh, with the Bible and with Scripture. So may God bless you as you... Um, Relate to folks from time to time as you meet people in the world, as you meet your brothers and sisters. God bless you. We'll call for a closing song.